Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to Unbothered with Josh Morani. Today, I'm going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers calling out his wide receivers, what I think of that. Then, yesterday, preseason week two, Seahawks, Bears, very ugly football. I dive into that. And then ESPN uh, came out with an interesting article ranking teams, position groups, from quarterback to offensive linemen to cornerbacks to safeties. I react to their list and who they declare has the best and deepest team. And then I'm going to react to LeBron's two-year max with the Lakers and then finish up with the PGA Tour. Let's get started with the news of Deshaun Watson. Uh, Two days ago, Deshaun Watson, uh, or yesterday, my bad, Deshaun Watson banned for 11 games. His suspension was originally six. NFL fought to appeal that, um, and they reached a settlement. Didn't seem like the NFL were too happy. Uh, Deshaun Watson wasn't too happy, but it went from six games to 11 games and a $5 million fine, which is the most an NFL player has ever been fined. But let me just put that fine into perspective. So Deshaun Watson's contract is $230 million guaranteed that he gets $230 million. Five million of that is fined. It's like a 2% fine. Um, You know, the average uh, American household income is $67,000. So the equivalent of that fine to the average American household is $1,500. So to me, the $1,500, you know, for that $67,000 is not the biggest of deals. It's not like you're taking a step back. Um, you know, maybe for some, that feels big. But again, you're Deshaun Watson. You're getting $230 million. So it reduces it down to two twenty-five. dollars um, I hope you're not pinching pennies for that $5 million. But they said it'll be donated uh, to charity, but that's not just, that's not the half of it. I'm happy that his suspension moved up. I believe from the beginning it should have been a whole season from what, you know, was presented to the judge uh, and that I agree with Roger Goodell was that his actions were predatory. They were disgusting. Um, definitely broke the conduct policy. Um in this case, so it's better than before, but I still think it's not enough. And I think the majority of the people, reason why people feel this way is that it's still not enough is because Deshaun Watson lacks accountability. He came out with like a half-hearted apology last week, apologizing to women in general and to those who were triggered by this. And the Browns organization 
said something similar. Apologies to the women who are triggered by this. But then yesterday, Deshaun Watson stands by his innocence. You know, you make a half-hearted apology, then you stand by your innocence. You know, I think a majority of people would like to hear accountability that, you know, what he did was wrong, you know, publicly apologize directly uh, and say that his actions were wrong. Uh, You know, it's still not going to make the matter better, but it makes it a bit more tolerable when someone comes out and apologizes for their actions instead of being stuck up, ignorant, uh, like Deshaun Watson has been. So, you know, because of that, you know, you had uh, in their first preseason game, Deshaun Watson against the Jaguars. You had Jags fans chanting obscenities at him. Uh, You had some, you know, I don't want to call them funny, but humorous uh, type of posters in the stands directed toward Deshaun Watson. And I think Deshaun Watson is going to be heckled a lot this year. Uh, You know, he's only going to play the remaining five games of the schedule. Uh, So he's going to miss the first 11. But I still think the game back, you know, his first game back is against the Houston Texans, his former team. Again, that's going to be quite the clown show between the Cleveland Browns, who are now the Cleveland Clowns, and the Houston Texans, um, who also were in this position as well, enabling Deshaun Watson. So that's going to be the ultimate circus clown show, his first game back. Uh, A lot of media attention will be on that. However, I hope the announcers don't say, we finally get to see Deshaun Watson play again. Or it has been a long time coming for this, uh, you know, 700 days or whatever. No, 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 no. I don't want to finally get to see him. I don't want to see Deshaun Watson on the field at all. That's how I feel about it. I don't want to see that man throw a snap this year. Uh, I just don't. Uh, Again, rooting for the Browns. I mean, rooting against the Browns every game they play uh, the rest of the season. So, no, you know, even when he does come back, how good will he be? We just don't know, but you miss 11 games. Uh, You know, the games that you're missing are your more difficult games. It's kind of your first round around the division. You know, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Ravens. You also play uh, the Chargers in that stretch, the Patriots. The Dolphins, the Bills, and the Buccaneers, all not very losable games, but they will lose those games with Jacoby Brissett. So you come back against the Texans, and then the next round of your division, you know, you play the Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, and again, the Browns will miss the playoffs this year. Good roster, but with Jacoby Brissett as the main guy, his team ain't doing it. So, you know... I'm happy that at least his suspension was increased. Um, Still wish it was a year, um, but I'll accept this and I'll accept the fine. 
Now moving on to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went on a rant against his receivers um, the other day. You know, said that, you know, they're dropping too many balls. uh, Their routes aren't good enough. And, you know, they hope he doesn't play like this when the season starts because, you know, they're just not good enough at this point. So nothing like a public call out against your teammates. That's not what you want to see at all, what you want to hear if you're in that locker room. I don't like the way Aaron Rodgers has handled it. Definitely not good for morale, especially since three of these wide receivers is are rookies. One of them is his second year. Um, and the other guys are just just old. Alan Rod or uh, Randall Cobb, you know, Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard's not a number one. Uh, so picks on his receivers, uh, and you know, to me nobody likes to be publicly called out, let alone, you know, in front of your team, let alone, you know, the whole country, um, speaking in front of a media like this. Uh, but the team met, you know, a lot of the wide receivers met, and Rodgers, they kind of cleared the air, which I think is good. But a lot of this, to me, is placed on Aaron Rodgers. It's Aaron Rodgers' fault that he's in this predicament where he's calling out his wide receivers, and he no longer wants, and he no longer has Devontae Adams. Yes, Devontae Adams wanted a new contract. The Packers were to give it to him, but his mind was already made up earlier in the season because a large chart, a large part of Devontae Adams requesting his trade was the constant uncertainty around Aaron Rodgers a uh, couple years now where he contemplates retirement every offseason. Is he going to request a trade? You know, what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? You know, he could have signed his deal earlier in the year, but he waits until, you know, March to sign it when Devontae's mind's already made up. You know, he doesn't want to have this uncertainty around him. He wants somebody he knows, he trusts, throwing him in the football because Devontae Adams is still in his prime. Aaron Rodgers is playing great football, but as Aaron Rodgers has hinted, he sees the end of his football career very soon. So Devontae's left. To me, a large part of that is Aaron Rodgers' fault. I think they were close, um, but they had to go their own separate ways. So Aaron Rodgers ranting against his receivers. He put himself in this situation to where the Packers then had to go out and draft rookie wide receivers, try to sign some veterans um, because of Aaron Rodgers. He's put himself in this situation with his contract making $50 million a year. You also couldn't afford the Devontae Adams at $30 million a year. Uh, it would have been very tight. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers, a lot of this is on you. Now getting to an ugly football game that was played last night between the Chicago Bears and the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I'm going to talk about both teams 
But first, I'm going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks um, and kind of the errors that they have. You know, Geno Smith, bad fumble in the game yesterday, um, you know, that, you know, was preventable, um, you know, couldn't handle the snap as well, um, didn't look good, you know, running back a fumble. I mean, they had three fumbles. You know, they only lost one, thankfully, uh, but not a clean game at all by the Seattle Seahawks. And Seattle's playing a lot of their starters, minus their two wide receivers, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Their starting center played yesterday, got injured, but the two quarterbacks are playing, you know, Geno Smith, Jacob Eason, uh, Drew Lock didn't play yesterday. Uh, Homer's been playing, you know, Dallas, DJ Dallas. So they're getting kind of everybody the reps. Um, you know, they're starting cornerbacks, Blair, Kobe Bryant, they're all playing. And they just don't look good. Don't look good at all. We're shut out in the first half. And a lot of these Seahawks players are starters. They're starters. The Seahawks are not going to be very good this year. And to me, the biggest cause of their problem is Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is by far the biggest problem with the Seattle Seahawks. He is. And it's stupid for, you know, general manager uh, John Schneider to choose Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson. Uh, to me, that's going to haunt the Seattle Seahawks for quite some time. Choosing an old 70-year-old coach over a quarterback that's still in his prime in Russell Wilson. Now, last year, he looked a little out of it. You know, wasn't his best year. A lot of that had to do to the fact that he was injured for a few games. And I think he was tired of this offense. He's tired of the offensive line that's continuously been trash. And they haven't been able to draft or sign quality offensive linemen, the ability or the coaching to just keep on running the football, you know, and deny Russell Wilson throwing the ball 30, 35, 40 times a game. They just didn't want to do that. So they chose Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson. That's going to come back to haunt them because Pete Carroll is an old defensive coach, old defensive coach. And the way the NFL is set now is this is a young offensive game. So they are literally the furthest away from what they should be. We look at Sean McVay, who just won the Super Bowl. He's a young, offensive-minded coach. When you look at San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, young offensive coach. Cliff Kingsbury, young offensive coach. That's just in... Seattle's division, those are the three teams. But when you look around, Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule, young offensive coach, do I think he's the best? Uh, but he's in the right direction. Green Bay, Matt LaFleur, young offensive coach. Minnesota's Kevin O'Connell, young offensive coach. Um, Detroit Lions, Matt Campbell, he's not super young, but he's younger than Pete Carroll. He's an offensive coach. Look at Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid's. Not by any case young, but he's an offensive coach. Denver's Nathaniel Hackett, young offensive coach. Josh McDaniels, young offensive coach. Uh, you know, so just down the list there, uh, you know, Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, 
young offensive coach, uh, Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, young offensive coach. Uh, so you have Seattle there, old defensive coach, and it would be different if a defense is good, but the defense has been bad for quite some time now. Uh, this roster overall has been bad for quite some time. Uh, and they are just stuck in their Pete Carroll way. Even in the draft, it was draft a running back, a couple offensive linemen, and we'll see if that those offensive linemen pan out. But Seattle is, is going to be an utter disaster uh, this year. They don't have guys that can cover. Um, you know, Jamal Adams, to me, is not a premier safety in this league. Uh, their defensive line is not good. They can't really generate a pass rush. Carlos Dunlap is gone. Um, and then their quarterback situation is abysmal. Um, and then you have that tough schedule that they have. You know, you open against the Russell Wilson revenge game. Uh, and then the 49ers after that. Um, and then just throughout your schedule, you've got the Saints in there, the Chargers, uh, the Buccaneers, the Raiders, uh, the Rams, the Chiefs. It's going to be tough for Seattle. For Seahawks fans, it's going to be a very long season. And this is going to be the longest one in about 10 years because I don't have them getting five wins. I, I don't think they're that caliber of a team. I don't think they're well coached anymore. Uh, Pete Carroll is way past his prime. He's way in his over his head. And the Seattle Seahawks aren't going to be good this year. And you flip that to the Chicago Bears, who I also don't think are going to be good this year. But at least they got a quarterback who I like in Justin Fields. But I feel bad for Justin Fields. I've spoken uh, about this before, but I think Justin Fields has tremendous talent, can be a great quarterback in this league. But he has a terrible offensive line, much like Seattle. No protection, no left tackle, right tackle. He's constantly under pressure. Good thing for him. He's elusive. He's quick. He can get out of it. He can make plays, throw, running the football. That's good. Good for Chicago. Uh, but you don't have that offensive line. Your weapons lack thereof. You had Allen Robinson, uh, who I thought, you know, going into last year, year before, you know, is a fringe top 10 wide receiver. You know, he was very good, and Chicago let him go. So now you're stuck with Dar Darnell Mooney, Cole Maquette, or Cole Komet, and it just doesn't look good. Uh, Rokon Smith requested a trade. I mean, the Bears aren't even bad for quite some time. They don't know what they're doing. Again, their coach is young, but he's a defensive guy, uh, and you really want a young defensive guy. In Chicago, Chicago's not going to be good this year. I have them going to be last in this division. And, you know, when I was watching that game last night, that preseason game, they interviewed Justin Fields. You know, I told my family right there, I'm like, if I was Justin Fields, I'd request a trade right then and there. I would request a trade to get me out of Chicago because I don't want to waste my young good years on my rookie contract with the Chicago Bears, this is the time for the team to build around me, 
with the cheapest contract that you're going to get to go win some titles. We've seen that before. You know, 10 years ago with Russell Wilson uh, when they won the Super Bowl, they surrounded him with talent. They won the Super Bowl. That's what we see. And we see teams trying to do it on their rookie deal. Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams like five years ago surrounded Jared Goff were trading picks to get talent around Jared Goff. They went to the Super Bowl, lost it, but they went to build around their contract on a rookie deal. We see that right now with the San, Francisco, or San Diego Chargers. They are building around Justin Herbert. They brought in a bunch of pieces this offseason to try to capture this on the rookie deal. Patrick Mahomes surrounded him with talent. Again, won the Super Bowl on the rookie deal. San Francisco 49ers surrounding Trey Lanes with talent. Again, trying to win this on a rookie deal. Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz was on his rookie deal when they went to the Super Bowl. So you see the theme here. You want to go all in in those first four, five years with your quarterback. That's the goal because it gets exponentially difficult when you're offering your quarterbacks, you know, a bunch of guaranteed money, just throwing it at them. And Justin Fields ain't going to get that kind of help at all with the Chicago Bears. So I'm Justin Fields. I want to lead that team because you've got no elite offensive pieces. You've got one elite defensive piece in Roquan Smith, and he was requested a trade. Why not just follow him out the door? Would it be met with a bunch of public praise, probably? You know, no, because you're in your second year, but you need to get out of there. Because Chicago might destroy you before you make it to the end of your rookie deal, and you can leave that team. Uh, so if I'm Justin Fields, I'm being cautious. If they don't want to pony up their dough to help me out, then, you know, I'm being very cautious with what I do with the team. Now moving on to the ESPN article that was ranking NFL position groups of the best and worst units for all 32 teams, the 1 through 32 ranking. I'm not going to read through the rankings for each position, 1 to 32, but I'm going to go through some notable ones. So quarterback, it's basically who they think, you know, is the best, you know, 1 to 32. Um, Some notable ones there. Green Bay, they think, has the best with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Kansas City, two. Patrick Mahomes, three. Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, again, uh, everybody wants to talk about Green. And and again, this was a ranking for your 2022 rankings, you know, not long-term outlook. So if you just want to base it on what Aaron Rodgers has done and what he can equivalent that to, uh, you know, ranking going into this year. You know, you can certainly make that case with the back-to-back MVP. I'd rather have Tom Brady, who basically led the NFL in every passing category and was number two uh, in every other one. So that's a big one for me. A couple other ones, surprising, uh, considering how much people talk, is, you know, Lamar Jackson was outside of the top ten. He was at 11, Kyler Murray ahead of him. Also, Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott ahead of Russell Wilson. Um, You know, Matt Stafford ahead of uh, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, which, again, I don't agree with. 
And the worst team was the Seattle Seahawks. Um, that's who they had the worst. Uh, the combination of Geno Smith and Drew Locke, that is a pretty bad group. That is a very, very bad group. Running backs, I think the running backs a very true list. Um, here in Cleveland at one, just because of their tandem, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Uh, you know, Chubb ranks first in yards per carry, third in yards after contact uh, since he was drafted. Hunt is 12th in the yards per carry category and then leads the NFL in yards after contact since he was drafted. So, yes, a very, very good running back tandem. Then you can kind of rank your running backs after that. You know, Jonathan Taylor at two, but they've also got I mean, Naheem Hines. Three, Minnesota. You got Dalvin Cook, but you also got Madison, who can fill in as a backup quite admirably. Uh, then you got Tennessee's Derrick Henry at four. Uh, then Carolina at five, Christian McCaffrey. But I'm still shaky about Christian McCaffrey and his injury history. Um, you know, Green Bay's up there at eight with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Again, you have your worst team. Some of them are surprising. San Francisco at 26, Baltimore at 25. I think their running back cores are a little stronger. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, San Francisco, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon, and Yuzan Debo out the back. I think they're better than Buffalo is, which are ahead of him at 24. But Seattle's low again, 27. Kansas City for a contender, awfully low at 28. Next, wide receivers. So which wide receiver group is the best? And to me, this was a toss-up I was interested to see. And they went with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and I think that's the right call just because of the, uh, you know, group that they have. It's so young. Jamar Chase, rookie of the year last year, was super impressive. Uh, then you've got, you know, your third-year wide receiver now, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd in the slot, that wide receiver trio. Uh you, teams don't have enough opposing cornerbacks to guard a matchup against all of them. They just don't. It. Pick your guy. Somebody is going to eat, do well every single time. So I agree with Cincinnati coming in two was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I agree with this one. Mike Evans, uh, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage now, Julio Jones. They got a plethora of wide receivers. They really do. You add in some speed guys like Scotty Miller, you know, Rashad Perryman, Darden. They've got a great group. Dolphins moved up a bit. I like their group of Jalen Waddle and um, uh, Tyler Detail. But then after that, you've got the Cardinals at four with D-Hop, you know, Rondale Moore, Marquise uh, Brown, A.J. Green, and I think those are good wide receivers, but there's other groups, even if there's one that I just think are better. Like, I'd rather have the Vikings, you know, Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne, Justin Jefferson over the Cardinals. Um, You know, another team that surprised me being high up here, the Seattle Seahawks are seven. To me, their two guys are Tyler Lockett and um, D.K. Metcalf. But then again, I'd rather have the Rams, who are below them at nine, with Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. The Raiders as well, Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, 
um, Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis. So those right there are surprising. Like San Francisco at 16, you know, they've got Debo, uh, Brandon Ayuk, but they've got, you know, Pittsburgh and the Jets ahead of them, uh, which is very surprising. But another low one on the list, it's uh, Baltimore, who's 32 in wide receiver. They are, you know, dead last in wide receiver. They traded Marquise Brown. So now they just have, you know, Rashad Bateman, who is going to be heavily targeted, but Devin Duvernay, James Proche, Tylen Wallace. They don't have great wide receivers. They probably do have the worst wide receiver group out of the bunch. And Steve Young talked about this um, yesterday. Is He said that Lamar Jackson, you know, went something along the lines of Lamar Jackson, you know, in this group, that the personnel around him, it's not good enough to kind of unlock another level in Lamar Jackson. And I agree with him. I agree with what Steve Young said. Um, because the system that they have right now with, uh, you know, Greg Roman and John Harbaugh, it's suited to the strength of Lamar Jackson, which is the ground and pound. It's running the football. It's handing it off to J.K. Dobbins. It's a lot of play action. It's heavy on the read option and RPOs and decision-making with um, Lamar Jackson, him running and scrambling a lot. And they can win games like that with how they play, but they're never going to win a Super Bowl with how they play. I agree with Steve Young that you need to add an elite weapon. You know, I know he has Mark Andrews, but you need an elite wide receiver as well to unlock another step in Lamar Jackson. Now, I'm not saying that if you go out and get get this elite wide receiver, that Lamar Jackson is going to be Josh Allen. Or Patrick Mahomes, to me, he doesn't have that arm strength, that arm accuracy. But can he be a little better? Can his passing numbers improve, you know, and even at that point, you know, get to a point to where the defense respects Lamar throwing the football? Because right now, the defense doesn't 100% respect it. And that's because this offense is catered to this ground and pound, you know, running game with all this motion. So yes, they win games, but they're not winning big games. They're not winning conference championship games, Super Bowls with this style offense. You know, and a lot of receivers like Marquise Brown, they didn't want to be there in Baltimore because of this run heavy offense. Now I think Lamar is smart enough to say, hey, you know, talk to John Harbaugh and say, can we open up the offense a bit more? Can we throw in some more throws, really test the defense? I think John Harbaugh would be okay with that, suit it to Lamar, but also open up it up a bit more. I think this offense, it does get pretty predictable with what they do. You know, Lamar needs a Herculean effort on the ground and throwing to kind of win football games. And sometimes that's not even enough. And with that style of play that you're suiting to Lamar, uh, Lamar's not going to be in the game very long. He's not going to be in for a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers type length. Maybe not even a Matt Ryan type length, but like 37 or a Matthew Stafford, a lead at 
33 or 34 with the way that the Baltimore Ravens have their offense set up. Now moving on to tight ends. They have the best with the Baltimore Ravens and Mark Andrews, um, but it was close, I agree. Kansas City right there, Travis Kelsey is great. And then number three is San Francisco's George Kittle. You know, the tight ends are basically a ranking. Now moving to the offensive line. They have the best at the Philadelphia Eagles, um, you know, which I do think is good since you've got Jason Kelsey there again. Right tackle Lane Johnson is a beast. You know, one of the best guards, Brandon Brooks, Brooks retired, uh, but Landon Dickerson's been playing really good. So I agree with this. Kansas City, uh, their retooled offensive line is also really good. Uh, Reed Humphreys, uh, Joe Thune, Lando Brown, they're great. My Detroit Lions have drafted a great offensive line. Cleveland has built a good one. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers has bought one. Dallas Cowboys lost Lyle Collins, and they have them above Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay would be a bit higher if um, Ryan Jensen didn't get injured because they have a tremendous offensive line. Cincinnati has vastly improved their offensive line. Uh, But like I said, you see some of the bad offensive lines. The Chicago Bears, who I just talked about, they're 31-32. Terrible. Seattle Seahawks, 28 of 32. Terrible. When you have positions that are that bad, uh, like the Seattle Seahawks, who are low on quarterback, running back, offensive line, you're destined to be a very bad team. Now, moving on to the defense. And defense is something, you know, I'm getting used to now, but different styles of defense. Very much back in the day, it was a lot of, you know, base defenses, 4-3, you know, type styles where you had your defensive line, you had your linebackers, and then you had your defensive backs consisting of your safeties and your cornerbacks. Now defenses are a bit different. Now you've got two, three defensive linemen that are classified as that. Then you have your edge rushers, uh, which can also play a part as like your outside linebackers. Then you've got your off-ball linebackers, like your Fred Warners and such. So I'm still getting used to all this deep defensive, you know, uh, stuff because, you know, when you see somebody line up on the defensive line, you know, how many of you think defensive line, but that's not the case anymore. you got to differentiate the line in the edge rushers, uh, which are, you know, could be a defensive end, could be an outside linebacker. So this is where it gets a little, little murky. But one is the Los Angeles Rams, mainly because they got Aaron Donald I'm right there, and that's it. Well, the football team, I think, has a great offensive line as well. They had them at two. Uh, that's uh, Chase Young, uh, the Sweat, Iadonis, great line. Three is the New York Giants. They have four first-round picks on that line. However, I want to see consistency. I do want to see a great defensive line because I think three is a bit high for this team. Uh, I'd put San Francisco up there at three. I like Nick Bosa. I like Eric Armstead uh, a lot, you know, compared to, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, who has Cam Hayward. But if we're not classifying T.J. Watt on this line, 
That's where I said, you know, the lines sort of get blurred here. But Tampa Bay's got Vita Vea there at 12. So, again, interesting to see this. Now let's go to edge rushers who can play on that defensive line. They get after the quarterback. Best Los Angeles Chargers, number one. Uh, and they have the potential to be great. They're doing Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. I want to see what the numbers are before I put a label. Because this has the potential to be the best. This has the potential to be really scary. But I want to see how this goes first. Really do. You've seen a lot of pairings in the past, but I want to see how this one works. Cleveland, I think, is a bit overrated. Uh, Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is great. But the Jadavion Clowney is not that same guy. I'd rather have Las Vegas, who's sitting there at four. They have... Uh, Max Crosby led the league in pressures last year. Then they signed Chandler Jones to help them out. So I think they have very talented edge rushers. Off-ball linebackers. This is your, your Mike linebacker, you know, right there, your Will. And the best is the San Francisco 49ers. Couldn't agree more. Fred Warner is one of the best linebackers in the game to me. The best. Um, New Orleans, you got Demario Davis there. Uh, Tampa Bay's there at four, and I agree. Devin White, Levante David. The Los Angeles Rams went out and signed Bobby Wagner. Um, but you have some low groups. Baltimore, again, they have a low group there at 30 um, for their linebackers. The worst is the Detroit Lions. Let's see what happens with them. Rodrigo, Malcolm Rodriguez, been featured on Hard Knocks. Has been playing really, really well. Let's see if they keep him around and see how well he does. Cornerbacks. Miami Dolphins, number one. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones. Howard, Xavier Howard has 27 interceptions since he was drafted in 2016, and he's missed 24 games during that span. He's been great. Byron Jones, he's excellent as well. Both getting up there in age, both 29, could get a bit younger soon, but I think they're great um, at that spot. Who has the worst? Cardinals. Cardinals are 32, and that's tough for a contender, a team that wants to make a Super Bowl run, to have the worst cornerbacks. Byron Murphy, you know, is no stud. Marco Wilson struggles, and then the rest of the guys are journeymen and rookies. Antonio Hamilton, Christian Matthew, they're not good. They can't cover. And when you're in a division, having to cover Debo Samuel, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf, and just in your conference, I mean, you know, Mike Evans uh, and such, you need good cornerbacks, and the Cardinals don't have them. They're very bad. Uh, there, they may need to improve if they want a Super Bowl run. Not just a playoff, you know, birth, but a Super Bowl run. Another team, again, we see low, Seattle. This is like your fifth or sixth low group cornerbacks. Again, they've got none. Like I said, they're a bad team. And last but not least, safeties, and they have the Buffalo Bills, and I agree, last year were the best safety duo in the league, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, first-team All-Pro, Jordan, second team all pro Micah Hyde. Uh, again, they are just uh, great with communicating leaders of this defense. I like this group 
a lot back there uh, that they had. So overall, who had the best units out of all this ranking that they did? I'll read this. The overall unit grade shows what is essentially a five-way tie at the top. So there's five really good teams. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ended up just a few tenths of a point over the Los Angeles Chargers, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, and Green Bay Packers. Unlike this time last year, Tampa Bay isn't returning all 22 offensive and defensive starters, but on paper, the team remains loaded. Tom Brady leads an offense that added Shaq Mason and Russell Gage as de facto replacements for Ali Marpet and Antonio Brown, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea, Antoine Winfield, and Carlton Davis are among the standouts on a defense that added Akeem Hicks and Logan Ryan. The Buccaneers have won 23 regular season games in a Super Bowl during Tom Brady's two seasons and are well positioned for one more run in 2022. End of the paragraph. I couldn't agree more. This is why I'm still high on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is because they have a consistent group. They have a lot of top five groups, top 10, top 15. You don't look at a position group on this team and say it struggles. You just don't. Now, would I like to have Ryan Jensen healthy or a better center? Yes, but they've replaced everybody that's been gone. They added depth there. Uh, They lost Whitehead, but they got Logan Ryan. They added Akeem Hicks as a luxury. They've got Vita Vea, but you just add him to Vita Vea. You can't run the football on this team. To me, this is going to be the best rush defense in the league. I think you won't be able to get 80 yards a game per average on this defense. They're quick, they're athletic. I think Devin White's going to have a bounce back here. Levante David is great. I mean, this defense is really good. Uh, They're sound. I think they'll be better with Todd Bowles coaching and another guy um, in there as defensive coordinator. Offense, I don't see losing a step again the Interior offensive line, mainly the center, is my biggest concern. But they've got Tom Brady. This is one of the best units. I like the grade here, but they've also got the Chargers as well. They've improved so much during the offseason. It's insane uh, that they were able to get J.C. Jackson, extend Derwin James, get Khalil Mack. All levels of defense have improved. Um And then you've got the offense just evolving with Justin Herbert. Buffalo Bills went out to sign Von Miller, and Buffalo Bills are a great team. The Cincinnati Bengals retooled their offensive line similar to what the Chiefs did when they noticed that was their biggest hole. And the Packers are, to me, not elite at any position except quarterback and wide and cornerback. Quarterback Aaron Rodgers, cornerback Alexander. But they're very sound. Every uh, other position, the names aren't going to jump out at you, you know, but Kenny Clarks, the Rashawn Garys, but they are very sound and capable at their positions. So this is essentially who we're naming the top five teams in the league, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Green Bay Packers. Now, I can agree with all those. I really can. Uh If you're looking just in terms of players and talent, I probably agree. But if you want to factor in coaching 
of course I'm going to take the Chargers out because, you know, I can't stand uh, Staley who cost Justin Herbert a playoff spot last year. But other than that, I agree with this list. Uh, and I agree with the worst team as well on this list, the Houston Texans. I mean, they are the worst team um, in the league. They have really nothing going for them. But you look at the other teams that round out the bottom five, the Atlanta Falcons who are in tank mode, the Chicago Bears who I've said, Joseph Fields needs to get out of here, the Seattle Seahawks downright bad, and the New York Giants as well. So you really have your five best there, and then your five worst. Uh, but you've got a lot of good teams, you know, in very, you know, your 16, you know, playoff spots right there. Uh, my bad, top 14. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, but a lot of this list, for the most part, I do agree with. Now moving on to the NBA. LeBron James, two days ago, signed a two-year, you know, essentially it's a max contract with the Los Angeles Lakers, two years, $97.1 million, which makes LeBron James the highest earning player in NBA history with $532 million in career guaranteed money, surpassing Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant. Look at that. LeBron James is back on top of the list of, you know, most money ever earnings in the NBA. Congratulations, LeBron. You deserve it. I think of you as a top two uh, player in this league behind Michael Jordan. Uh, for sure, top three. No debate on that. You know, what he has done for the league in terms of revenue generated and ushered in. He was the face of the NBA. Uh, you know, just how good of a guy he is in general off the court as well. Um, you know, I've got no problem with him signing uh, this deal in terms of his value. But I do have one problem with that. And that's with the signing of his contract. He has essentially said that he does not care about winning anymore. It's all about the money, uh, which is sad because he's not winning any more titles with the Los Angeles Lakers with how this team is constructed. His team is awful, minus LeBron James, Anthony Davis, when healthy, you can't rely on him. Russell Westbrook's terrible, and the rest of the team isn't really that good. So LeBron has signed off by saying he doesn't care about winning, which is sad. Uh, because, you know, you had LeBron during the last playoffs that he missed. He said, you know, watching this hurts, making it my goal to not miss the playoffs again. And here he is signing this contract, which handicaps a team, which basically means the Lakers can't make any other moves, and they are stuck with the same team from last year. And the same team from last year had 33 wins, I believe. And you're going to run it back and expect to get to 50? I don't think so. This is a very bad team, and it's sad that LeBron has signed this deal because he just doesn't care about winning anymore. 
It's not the most important thing to him, which is sad because he's already a billionaire. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need a $97 million contract. Why not make a smart move like James Harden? If you want to win, take less money. You see Tom Brady, constant, winning football games. All he wants to do is win. He takes less money year after year after year because all he wants to do is win. And if that day comes where he no longer wants to win football games, he's walking away from the NFL. He's done enough. He's collected a ton of money in his career. Obviously not as much as LeBron James because he's taken pay cuts to have the team be better, but not LeBron. I wish LeBron had that similar attitude since, you know, he's made a billion dollars in his career, but hey, it's time to win now. I'm taking less money. We're building a team because I want to win a championship. What's the reason for playing if you're not going to win a championship? What point is there? Now, I know he can go out and break Kareem's scoring title this year, 26, but the goal isn't winning. His goal is to break Kareem's scoring record. It's to play a year with Bronny and hang it up. I think in his mind, he's already the GOAT. He thinks he's the greatest. I think he does. I think he goes to bed knowing the fact that what he's accomplished in the league makes him the greatest of all time. However, unfortunately... I don't believe that, and majority of the United States doesn't believe that. I think there's various polls out there, whether it be on Twitter or anywhere else where, you know, ESPN, you know, usually it's 70-30, Michael Jordan, LeBron, 80-20, somewhere in that range. Because LeBron, you know, the... Ten trips to the finals, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's great. But you lost six of them. You're four and six. It's like if Tom Brady, he's been to ten Super Bowls, the same amount is LeBron has finals. But Tom Brady's seven and three in those games. Now, if he was four and six, like LeBron, he could still be considered a GOAT. Yeah, for sure. He's got the longevity titles now. His... Title number would be tied with Joe Montana, but you'd have a debate. Is it Joe Montana? Is it Tom Brady? Is it Jerry Rice? You have a legitimate debate, but with Tom Brady, there is no debate to be made other than that the GOAT is Tom Brady. And anybody who doesn't accept that fact doesn't know football. They, if you know, that's gonna be the first question, it's usually the first person. Their first question I ask people about football, you know, who do you think is, you know, the greatest football player of all time? They don't say Tom Brady. I'm not wasting my time with them because they just don't know football and they can't accept facts. That's as simple as that. They're not reasonable. So why do I want to talk to people that are unreasonable, can't accept facts, deniers and haters? That's not the people I want around in my life. So that's why Tom Brady is a GOAT. And everybody makes this comparable thing now with Tom Brady and LeBron because they played long. But LeBron isn't in the same league as Tom Brady. They're not in the same ballpark. They're not on the same street corner. They're not in the same 500-mile radius. 
Tom Brady is in a league with Wayne Gretzky, with Babe Ruth, and with Michael Jordan. Those are his sports contemporaries. Tom Brady has no NFL football contemporaries. He doesn't. He's in a class of his own. But if you want to go team sports, you've got the goats of the other sports. The Wayne Gretzky's, the Babe Ruth's, the Michael Jordan's. Those are the only three people you can compare to Tom Brady. LeBron's not in that conversation. With that contract that he signed, he has ended this conversation. And it's sad because I like watching LeBron. Watching LeBron in the playoffs far surpasses that of the regular season. It just gives the playoffs another edge. But now with signing this deal, who knows if he even makes the playoffs again. It's like the end of LeBron. It's like LeBron is slowly fading away. And I know this is the twilight of his career. But he's officially signed off on not making the playoffs and being competitive anymore, which is sad. Because he'll have great individual stats. He'll average, you know, 28-7-7. That's what he does. But it just doesn't matter because he's not making the playoffs. It makes it hard because, you know, I like LeBron. I think he's a great guy. I like watching him play. But it's awfully hard when he does things like this where doesn't feel like he's part of the team. So, LeBron might be taking a second spot to Giannis this year. Officially, is my favorite player. All right, enough on LeBron. Time to move on to the NBA schedule. NBA schedule was released, but who cares? Who cares? There's 82 games. Again, it's not that big of a deal. It's crazy that, you know, for the NFL, we have a full schedule reveal on ESPN and we're breaking everything down because the games are meaningful. Every week is meaningful. Every week is big. NBA, it's not that way. Now, they've added different things, which I think is cool, but opening week games are much better. The Christmas games are great. I'm really looking forward to the Warriors-Grizzlies game. John Moran, Draymond Green, just that rivalry. Added a rivalry week, which I think is going to be beneficial. But to me, the NBA schedule reveal the team. Again, it's not on the same par as the NBA or NFL. Still think they should uh, lower the game amount 10 games to 72, make the NBA schedule a bit more meaningful. Now, finishing with the PGA Tour and a uh, players-only meeting that the PGA Tour had on, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday. Uh, Tiger Woods came down there before the BMW Championship that they're playing right now and kind of fired up the guys, you know, got them, you know, behind the PGA Tour. And I can't agree more with what Tiger Woods did. Everybody was happy Justin Thomas, uh, you know, says, you know, you better be following Tiger Woods. Um, Roy McIlroy says, you know, he's still the leader. And it's a smart thing because, you know, you have some people say, you know, what has the PGA Tour ever done, you know, for you? Without the PGA Tour, there would be no Tiger Woods right now. We wouldn't be talking about Tiger Woods in the same breath that we do if there was no PGA Tour. 
Conversely, the PGA Tour helped create Tiger Woods, but Tiger Woods helped create this current version of the PGA Tour. So, you know, when they offer him $700 million, $800 million from Live Golf, he ain't going to accept it because he's a billionaire and he's made a lot of his money, his endorsements, his efforts from his time on the PGA Tour. And the minute you sign that guaranteed contract with the Saudi Arabians, you're losing your deals. You're losing your endorsements. Now I keep on hearing this. That this competition, it's good. It's good for golf if there's another league, live in PGA goes. No, it's not good because it's taking some of the star players. You know, to me, it's not taking every star, but it's taking a few big names. Phil Mickelson passes prime. Patrick Reed, nobody cares about Bubba Watson, Henrik Stinson. Don't be throwing those names at me when you're talking about superstars. Dustin Johnson, to me, is the key big play here. When he left and you have, you know, the polarizing players and like a Brooks Kepka and uh, Bryson DeChambeau. But a lot of the stars are out still on the PGA Tour. And, you know, you look at the leaderboard right now, and it's great because the PGA Tour, the top players right now are doing it. Scotty Scheffler, who's number one in the world, is second right there. Rookie Cameron Young, who's been phenomenal this year, tied for second as well. Jordan Spieth tied for second. Patrick Cantlay tied for second. Roy McIlroy right behind those guys at tied for six. Uh, you know, so it's very good that, you know, those guys are up there. Markawa's up there. Justin Thomas. Xander Shoffley. That's who you want. You want your big guys up there. Uh, this player's meetings inspired them. Uh, again, I think it's great, you know, when people want to say it breeds competition. No, 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 no. It's like if in the NFL there was, you know, the Saudi Arabians, instead of wanting to develop, a, you know, another golf tournament, they wanted to do a football league. And you know who they got? They signed, you know, you're going after Tom Brady. They couldn't get him, so they got Aaron Rodgers. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big haul. You know, then you get some other guys. Uh, let's say you get, you know, a Tyree Kill to go over there, a Derek Carr, a Russell Wilson. Then you look at the league and say, the league is diminished. You wouldn't be saying this is good for the NFL. You'd be like, no, this, this isn't good. This is going to hurt ratings. Uh, for the NFL, this isn't a good thing. Or for the NBA, you know, if they want live, if the Saudi Arabians wanted a new NBA and they said, you know, we're going out, we've signed Nikola Jocic, former back-to-back or back-to-back MVP. You'd be like, oh, it's gaining some momentum. Then they signed Kevin Durant and, you know, Luka Doncic. And then you'd be saying a different story like, oh, no, this is not good for the NBA at all. So I'm tired of hearing this notion that this is good for the game of golf because it's a load of crap. So don't be trying to sell me that. Uh, I ain't buying it. This has been Unbothered. Hope you all have a great weekend. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody.